I started to believe that, that the identity of a father was probably one of the highest identities I could have. Mm. It was higher than CEO. It was higher than pastor. It was higher. It was higher. Like it was, it's the, it's the title God uses to refer to himself. Yeah. Is father. Mm. That's powerful. Right? Yeah. And he gives it to us. What's happening, fellas? Welcome to the Grown Man Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Kersey. And on today's show, we have Lucas Cole, who is the CEO of Epiphio, which is a massive video production and animation company here in Cincinnati, Ohio, that has worked with brands all across the globe, including Google and Deloitte and other Amazon and other top brands that I'm sure you would recognize. Lucas is an entrepreneur several times over. Uh, he's also just got a really interesting perspective on family and, and kind of our call to build families and, and to, to be on a mission and what that looks like. We dive into Lucas's backstory and how important uh, listening to the Holy Spirit has been in his life, even in his early days when I'm not sure he would have described it as that or really even knew quite what that looked like or meant. But just his commitment to answer the call in so many ways is really powerful. I'm excited for you guys to listen to this interview. If you want to learn more about what we're up to or make sure you stay in the loop on new interviews like this one, go on over to Grown Man Project. Dot com to learn more about what we're up to. But before you do that, let's dive into the show with Lucas Cole. Hey. Well, actually, I was listening to Psalms today. I, I've been listening to the Bible now, trying just on my walks in the morning. Yeah. And it was uh, one thing that hit me was that I, I can't remember what Psalm was, Psalm 89 or 90 or something. It was like, you know, weird dust. The world is dust. Grass yeah. is dust. Like it said something like a thousand years is like yesterday to you, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it just it was a good reminder to me of like, yeah, that's right. I just gotta keep going back. Like, you know, in our little eight and twelve and twenty-four hour increments, everything feels so goddamn important. Totally. You know? And it's and it's okay, that's good. Like it is important. It is important. Like, it's yeah. it's not that it's not important, it's just that in the grand scheme of, of this whole thing and the way God sees it, it's like just a blip. You yeah. know, and, and it just it's always helpful to kind of remind yourself that and it's it's one of those like really powerful dichotomies, I feel right. like. Like every every decision, every second that we live intentionally focused on his yes. kingdom can be powerful Super and can, important. can be part of his story, right? Yeah. Uh, and yet, like you said, like it's like this tiny little tiny piece blip. of the whole yep. eternity, yep. right, of what he's creating. No matter how important you think it is, it's not that important. It's yeah. important, but it's not that important. Yeah. You know. I love it, so. man. So we just dove right in. Are we recording? <laughs> We're recording. Oh, okay. okay so welcome to the show. I didn't know. Okay. There you go. Psalm, whatever. Look it up. Psalm 85. I think. There you go. Right. So I was, I was really excited that you agreed to do this because I feel like, you know, you entered my life at a really interesting point mm -hmm. where Chad, my best buddy on the planet, was becoming my business partner. Uh, we were trying to figure out what our roles would look like. That's right. Uh, I didn't do much like interviewing as we were thinking about should we should we bring on a consultant to help us kind of navigate this or whatever. Right. Uh, I had had a few people refer us to Rocket Fuel and the mm, Entrepreneur yeah, Operating yeah. System, yep. 
and then like out of nowhere you appeared in my LinkedIn feed <laughs> and <laughs> we connected and I yeah. feel like most of our conversation was actually about faith and yeah. life and right. manhood uh, and then right at the end we we're like so what are you actually how could you help us <laughs> right. and it just made perfect like, sense for I got this together. thing <laughs> called EOS if you want it right so I was excited to have you on because I feel like you're this you're this awesome blend in my life of like entrepreneur business operator and just great man of God, leader of your family, uh, really interesting perspective on what fa- what a family on mission looks like. Yeah. And so I'm excited to, to yeah. share some of your wisdom with our audience. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think I shared this with you guys, but it was also really interesting for me because you and Chad reminded me so much of mm-hmm. my first business partner, Joshua Johnson and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we had somebody kind of enter into our life right at that same time. Oh, really? And, yeah. And uh, his name was Chris Halter. And, um, you know, even to the point, like, I kind of chuckled to Tara. I was like, we started a podcast. Back Did you really? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it wasn't about, um, it wasn't about, like, faith and stuff. It was about web development. Or okay. I think it was about entrepreneurship in general or yeah. whatnot. But yeah. um, I can just, you know, it's like, it's almost like kind of... Um, like a mirror in a way. That's like, cool. I'm like, you know, and Chad comes out of the corporate world, you yeah. know, and I came out of the corporate world and Josh was more of the visionary and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was just, I think there's there's a lot of kind of God's, you know, hand on this and, yeah. and whatnot. So, That's cool, man. Yeah. I appreciate you yeah. sharing that. Yeah. So you came out of the corporate world. Remind me, what what's like your background? Take us through kind of the, the journey of Lucas Cole. Yeah, I have a, you know, a, a very standard career path that, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, can, you right. can look up in any kind of standard. <laughs> no twists and turns. Right, no whatsoever. twists and turns at all, right. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I went to, I'm from Michigan, yeah. um, kind of automotive capital of the world, Detroit area and um, so kind of everybody to some degree touches the automotive industry in uh-huh. the Detroit area. So I went to school for um, packaging. It's kind of like engineering. I, I don't. It's not actually part of the engineering discipline, but they call it packaging engineering. Okay. And uh, essentially, the, the idea is, you know, all these manufacturing companies ship products all over the world, and they need to be in boxes, and somebody needs yeah. to design the boxes. And if you design boxes well, you can save a bunch of money and all that kind of stuff. And at the time, everybody was saying it was like guaranteed job out of college and all that kind of stuff. But if you'd asked, like, I didn't give a crap about packaging. I, <laughs> and, and if you know anything about me, like, I'm really not an engineer. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, that's what I did. So um, graduated from uh, Michigan State with a bachelor's in packaging and became the manager of a bar and restaurant in East Lansing. Because that uh, makes right. total, that's so super linear. With a, with right. a degree like that, right? <laughs> and, uh, and then quit and started uh, making t-shirts at a t-shirt, like a, like a shop, like a screen printing shop. I feel like I didn't know any yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah, no, a lot of people don't, right? <laughs> uh, it's not something I like talk a lot about. Like, <laughs> but my brother actually got me the job. I, I moved away from Michigan State, moved in with my brother, and he got me a job. His buddy owned this screen printing company, I was just making screen printing and whatnot. Um, and from there, was able to get an internship. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm graduated, I'm out of college probably, I don't know, a year or two, maybe yeah. two years now at yeah. this point. Got an internship with a packaging company. Okay. And uh, quickly got, you know, the internship, they, they, they cut the internship, internship short, I got hired into like a sales packaging role. Okay. Um, was really successful really quickly with that company. Just, you know, just worked hard and, you know, 
Um, ended up landing, helping to land a big deal with a company down here called ZF, which okay. is a big automotive steering gear and steering column manufacturer. Was commuting to Cincinnati from Detroit for six months. So I would drive down oh, wow. here on Monday and then work all week and then drive back as yeah. a contract engineer. Gosh, that'd be exhausting. I loved it. Yeah? Now, this is pre-Christ days, right? Okay. So this is pre-Jesus Lucas. Yeah. So <laughs> staying in a hotel, having a meal mm. and an entertainment budget, being able to take people out to nice restaurants. And, yep. you know, I had no responsibility. I was just, you know, just a kind of, you know, flying by the seat of my pants. And yeah. I, I, it was fun for me then. It sounds like hell to me now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Uh, and then they, that company hired me. ZF hired me. Okay. So gotcha. they hired me on as a, as a purchasing guy. Yeah. So then became a purchasing guy, loved purchasing, learned a ton about contract negotiation. I was negotiating multi-million dollar contracts with European companies and flying to Korea to source, you know, it, it was like, it literally was like an MBA, yeah. you know, education. No kidding. Really quickly. Was getting promoted there to take over a, a massive account on the account management side of things. Hmm. Um, and they were going to move me back to headquarters, which was in Northville, Michigan. I'd yeah. accepted the job. Then I, it was, that was kind of the season where I had my first real encounter with God. Hmm. And came to know Jesus in September of 2007, I think. Um, how did that happen? How did that, that was happen? Crossroads. Crossroads. Yep. Okay. So I'd always gone to church and I'd always been like a, I'd gone to certain things where, you know, people preach the gospel and I said, you know, I accepted Jesus in my heart. And if you'd asked me at any time, I would have told you I was a, I, I don't think I would have called myself a Christian. I think I would have called myself a Lutheran. Okay. You know, yeah. Because um, that was the church I yeah, grew up in. Yeah, raised in that church. environment. Yeah. And um, had, you know, guys in college witness to me at one point and I, I felt mm. like, you know, this is making sense. And, you know, there was multiple times where I kind of thought that I had, mm. you know, believed. Mm -hmm. And maybe I did. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but in September, you know, when I moved down here, I always kind of thought if I just went to church and found a nice girl and, you know, a nice Christian girl and, yeah. you know, that would like fix me or something Yeah, the like Midwest that. dream. That's right. Yeah. And I ended up meeting a girl at church, by the way. <laughs> um, but, you know, one day I walked into the church. I'd, I'd gone many times. I was the prototypical guy who was hungover sitting in the very back at the 1145 service. Like, that was me. Like, yep. I tell that story. That was, yep. that was me. And... Um, he, uh, Brian Tome, preached on, uh, like, sexual sin. Mm. And I don't think I'd ever heard anybody talk about sex in a negative way. Like, mm. it was, you know, the culture I grew up in, you know, having multiple sexual partners before you were married and all mm. that kind of stuff, you were, you were, like, rewarded for that. Like, you were, mm. you know, you were cooler. Like, it was, it was, like, the pinnacle, you know, if yeah. you were that guy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in this place, and I'm hearing this guy say, like, that's not God's design for sex. And when you're doing that, you're actually kind of, like, hurting people, and you're taking something from people, and all this kind of stuff. And I just remember having this really profound, like, oh, oh, uh, God is a father, mm. and all of these women are his daughters, mm. and I've done something he doesn't like. It was the first time when I really believed that I was a sinner. Wow. I think that was it. I think yeah, that was that like, like clicked. That clicked. Finally, yeah. Like I did, I've done something really wrong, huh. you know. And if I was him, what would I do to me? Yeah, you know that's I mean? interesting that your mind went that's there. That's right. Yeah. I felt like that. Like if I was a dad, and I knew that Lucas, me, was doing what I was doing to his daughters, what would he do to me? Yeah. You know, like he would kill me. It's a terrifying. It's thought, a terrifying actually. thought. And, yeah. I, and that's, it was terror. I felt terror. Yeah. 
Like I felt terror in that moment, like, oh, oh my gosh, mm. you know, I'm in trouble. Yeah. And then, you know, he hits with the gospel. Mm. And it was, I mean, it was that simple to me. It was like, okay, I did this, I deserve this, and you're offering to, like, not do that. Yeah. Right? And, and instead, yeah. you're offering to give me even more good stuff. Yeah. Right? It just clicked. It you was know? a truth and grace moment. It was moment, a truth. Right? Total. Yeah. Total truth and grace moment. And I know it stuck because of all the other times I heard the gospel, of all the other times I, I said yes, of all the other times, like, whoever walked into that church that morning did not come out of that church. Mm. Like, it was somebody new that came out. And, and I remember just going home to my little, you know, loft apartment downtown Cincinnati and, and really saying, this changes everything, mm. you know. Um, but I don't know, what it, I don't know what it means for anything. Mm. You know, I don't, do I stay at my job? Do I become a pastor? Do I... You know, it was all on the table. It was all on the table. Point. Yeah, wow. And um, so you, you know, you, you jump ahead about nine months when I get this promotion. I had been praying about this promotion and felt the Lord tell me not to take the job. Whoa. Okay. And just in my spirit, felt like He was not. But then they offered me the job, and the money was like. How strong is that were, conviction? I, that I, I and I can tell. Job. I remember going like. Well, I mean, Lord, clearly with this much money. Think of all the good I could do for yeah. your kingdom. I was into that negotiation with God, and um, and man, it, it, the money got me. Yeah. The money, the prestige. I mean, I was going to get a company car. They were going to give me a signing bonus. You know, at that time, I was twenty-five or twenty-six years old, and I yeah. was going to be making six figures. And yeah. um, you know, the trajectory of my career was just like, if I took this, then what came next? And totally. Um, and so I kind of turned off the God radio. You know. <laughs> And, and then before I was leaving, I mean, literally, I had had my going away party at the company. I had accepted the signing bonus. I had an apartment signed in Detroit. I had a car, my company car already, I already yeah, had. Yeah, you were going. I was going. I was, uh, I was involved in a student ministry thing with Crossroads. I had taken all them out one night for student ministry stuff, was bowling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, just felt the Lord. I finally kind of opened back up and was like, wait a minute, Lord, I haven't, like talk to you about this in a while. <laughs> what do you think about this? And it was like, no, don't do it. You wow. Um, like that was like a, when you say, you felt him say, don't do it. What was that experience like? Well, the student ministry I was a part of was um, a group of some young teenage African-American boys mm. from relative, I wouldn't say they were like, you know, from crazy poverty and things like that, but Boys that never went bowling before, let's say it like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like these guys had never been to a bowling alley <laughs> before, right? And uh, I'm with these guys, and, and the, the last, they, they, I don't know if they hit a pin the whole night. Mm. I really don't. Like, mm-hmm. they, they, I don't, they just didn't know what the hell they were doing. <laughs> well, one of them, Jelani, who I'm still really close with, great guy, he says to me, he's like, all right, if we're gonna, you and me are going to bowl. If I get more pins than you, you got to stay. <laughs> right? Son of a gun gets up there and bowls a strike. No way. First, I, if he knocked down more than two pins the entire day, I'd been surprised, right? <laughs> he bowls a strike. I'm laughing. You know, I bowl it. I bowl like seven or something like that. And it was just like as I was walking out of the thing, I just felt like the Lord would be like knocking on you know the door, being like, hey, remember me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, that was me. Mm-hmm. You know, I just kind of trying to get your attention here. You yeah. Know? So God um, pull shark to you. Like, yeah, hustled there you go. You yeah, into- yep. <laughs> through, a, through a young African-American boy, he... He bull sharked me. Awesome. Um, that night, I was just replaying that in my head, and it, and, and that was when I finally kind of humbled myself and mm. was like, "All right, all right, 
okay, I remember you saying no to this. I've said yes. If you say no, I'll pull the plug. Wow. And I heard very clearly he said no. Wow. You know? um, now, the way things like that work, in my experience, is you never know why on the front end. Mm. Yeah. I can look back now and I can go, that would have been hell. Yeah. If I'd have done that. I, I know people that still work at that company. Yeah. You know? And, and you know, everybody's got their own path and wh whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. want to downgrade anybody that works at that company mm -hmm. or anything like that. But it was a tough freaking job. I mean, it yeah. was fly all over the world. For me to be able to start a family doing that, I mean, it mm. would have been, you know, many of the people I know divorced and all that kind of stuff. So I really do believe that God was trying to, like, protect me yeah, yeah. from, you know, the golden handcuffs, if you will. Yeah. He had something but, uh, different for you. That's yeah. right. But also, right, going back to my very standard career path, I quit my job. Um, I have to take a huge loss on the company car because they, they essentially pay you back to, to lease a vehicle. And okay. I had to, I'd already leased the vehicle in my name and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So to get rid of the lease, it cost me like five grand to do it. I had to pay the bonus back. I had to lose my deposit on the apartment that I had up in, in Michigan. I had like two weeks before the apartment that I was in was done. Like I, I didn't have a place to live. Oh my gosh. Right? Um, I had to turn my cell phone back to the company, my computer back to the company. I had nothing. I mean, I was literally going to be homeless Holy in two weeks. Cow. And, um, and, you know, and it was, it was a hard time too. Cause you know, on the one hand you, you know, I believe that I was following the Lord on the other yeah. hand, maybe I'm just crazy. <laughs> That's a ballsy you know move. I mean? Yeah. Maybe I'm yeah. just being stupid and nobody understood it. Nobody could understand it. Matter of fact, one of my mentors at the time, as I'm like running this by him, he kind of laughed and this is before I made the decision to quit. Uh -huh. And he said something that stuck with me ever since he said, you know, and th with things with God, you can get all the advice in the world, and it's good. You should get advice. But when it comes down to it, it, it comes down to you and God. Mm. And nobody will be able to understand mm. how or why or anything. And, and it's your conviction. Like You have to make the decision. Do you believe God is doing this or not? Mm -hmm. I can tell you I don't think it is, mm. right? But, or I think that's a little crazy or whatever. But it comes down to you and God. And mm. And I've, I've seen that multiple mm -hmm. times. Like, mm -hmm. you want to follow after this creator of the universe. You want to follow after the God of the Bible. You're going to do some things that look pretty stupid. Yeah. And people aren't going to understand it. And yeah. you gotta, you got to come back to that place of, I believe God is telling me to do this. Mm -hmm. And I believed God was telling me to do it. And it looked really crazy. And it looked mm -hmm. stupid. And it looked irresponsible. And it looked, you know, you got a six-figure job here. And you're, you know, what, what's your plan? What are you going to do? I didn't right. know. Yeah. Right? Um, Luckily, friends of mine let me live in their, not their attic, but like, like the third floor of their house for free. <laughs> they like saved my butt. Um, my grandpa ended up giving me a car, right? Oh, wow. So um, I had a complete stranger come up to me and offer to pay for my cell phone. Yeah. You know? No way. Yeah, because then, you know, and everybody will tell you this, as soon as you do step out in faith, yeah. you start seeing crazy stuff happen. Yeah. Like you really, truly see God provide for you. Yeah. You know, like... When you're making good money and you got your job and all that kind of stuff, it's, you know, yes, that's God's provision for your life and all that kind of stuff, but it's easy to take credit for it. Yeah. When you're just like a homeless bum and like people are just like giving you <laughs> stuff, like it's really clear, like I'm not earning this. You know? Yeah, like, it's almost like you humble yourself to the point where you yes. remove all ability to in that's any right. way, like you said, take credit for it or yep. point to even someone else that, yep. that helped orchestrate it. Yep. It's like all those things coming together, there's no other explanation. No other explanation. God had my back. I yep. was following what he had laid out for me. And I look back on that season, and as hard as it was, I, I realized that God was, 
he was kind of like detoxing me from the mm. world that I was in, mm. you know. Um, I, you know, started getting counseling and I started getting help and, and I started, you know, I got into like addiction recovery for sex addiction type stuff. Wow. And, yeah. you know, because I was just living, which is kind of like a normal secular totally. life. Totally. But when you, when you come into like the principles of God and you realize like, hey, purity and holiness and all that kind of stuff. And for 25 years, you've been, you know, looking at pornography and, you know, having sexual relationships with people that you shouldn't be having sexual yeah. relationships with, and you're you're drinking and you're drugging and you're all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You need to like detox, man. I mean, totally. it's it's uh, it was a tough transition, and yeah. I look back on that season with such fondness now because I'm like, man, it was. I don't know what I would have done if I if I'd have stayed in that company and stayed in that trajectory. I maybe I would have lost my faith. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and then lo and behold, I meet Josh Johnson. Yeah, this crazy entrepreneur from Northern <laughs> Ohio, and he's starting a company called College Piggy, which was an online college savings platform. Okay, um, you know, I at that point in time, I had no no intention of ever being an entrepreneur or anything like that, but I really liked Josh, and he was really convincing, and so I joined College Piggy. It was a colossal failure. <laughs> um, learned about venture capital, learned about, because we pitched venture capital companies and wow. learned a bunch of great lessons with that. Through that process, we learned how to develop software because yeah. we were developing College Piggy. Yeah. Um, and then, so we started Mindbox. Well, I shouldn't say that. Josh had started Mindbox years before, but then kind of like wasn't doing anything with it. And then through that experience, kind of revived Mindbox and then yep. we started Mindbox. So it was kind of like this College Piggy thing didn't work. But we have this skill set that we could probably go sell there to you people. Go. Yeah, and yeah. it it got us through, and you know, we, we, it wasn't a massive success. I learned a, a lot about uh, service companies are difficult, mm -hmm. and um, you know, it's you know the hustle, and you gotta, mm -hmm. you know, I learned during that season like you're gonna start a business. The number one thing is revenue. Yep. The number one thing is revenue. If you don't have somebody that can bring in the bacon. It is not build it and they come. Like you got to you got to pound the pavement and get revenue. Speaking like, my love language. <laughs> there you, go, right? you need freaking revenue. Um, me more on the operational side of things. Like mm. I've learned, like I can do anything if I've got somebody that can can get me clients. Mm. But mm. if you can't, I can't get clients, I'm mm. not going anywhere near that. If there's project. no cash flow. That's there's right. not a whole lot of operations. That's right. Uh, so uh, so we did that. I was doing some nonprofit stuff at the time too, speaking in high schools about abstinence right no way okay. yeah uh through a great organization called healthy visions and mm. uh and then met um the guys that were starting epiphio mm. and um joined them early on and uh have been at epiphio you know on and off <laughs> on for and the off. last yeah. you know what almost coming up on what is it 2019 so eight years that's awesome man yeah. so what did those early days of epiphio look like like what was attractive to you about coming on board with epiphio yeah it, you know, again, kind of the joke of the standard career path, you know, like um, packaging engineering to restaurant management to t-shirt making to purchasing to account management to web development <laughs> entrepreneur to, you know, video production entrepreneur. It's like, <laughs> what in the hell? <laughs> that guy clearly wasn't paying attention to what he was doing, right? But I realized, oh, this entrepreneur thing, I really like it. Yeah. You know, um, I it's hard for people to think they're creative. Like I would have never mm -hmm. identified myself as being creative, you mm -hmm. know, but you have to be creative, mm -hmm. you know, when you're starting a company or when you're on the ground floor of a company and, and whatnot, you, you, 
there's so many different ways you can skin the cat, you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. I just came alive with that. So um, Epiphio was like a, a startup success story. I mean, that, that company, mm-hmm. this company just freaking took off, like yeah. from, from, you know, from day one, not day one, but. Why was that? Why did it take off so fast? Well, here's my theory, mm-hmm. okay? My theory is you had kind of a convergence of a couple phenomenon in the market um, that usually lead to like the big hockey stick kind of businesses, right? So you had essentially, although it was 2009 or 2010 when it kind of started taking off, the internet was still largely a new phenomenon for businesses, mm-hmm. right? It was, I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was old at that point, but you know, you know it's still kind of yeah. changing yeah, things, yeah. right? Yeah. So the internet was, was a technology, a technological revolution was happening, and then um, video production software becoming you know, ubiquitous, people being able to make animated videos from their Mac mm. at home. Mm-hmm. That was new. I mean, that was, you know, and more and more people were being able to do that. And then you, the, the traditional marketing mentality of video, mm. you know, was t- television. Mm. If, you, if you wanted to do a video, you were going to do a TV spot, right? Yeah. So a lot of B2B, most B2B companies didn't ever really do video other mm. than a testimonial video here or a conference video or something like right. that. Um, and if they were going to do a video, the, the, in their mind, it was like going to cost them $500,000 to yeah, do a yeah, TV yeah. spot. Yeah. And all of a sudden, here comes this scrappy little company that made this video that went viral for Google. Yeah. Um, and it costs $20,000. Now, to you or I, that might be like, that's a lot of money for a video. Yeah, but yeah, to yeah. a $2 billion enterprise-level company, wait a minute, I can get... 40 of those for the same price that it would have cost me to do one, yeah. you know, and they just ate it up. So yeah. you had these convergence of a technological mm-hmm. revolution, kind of a, an, uh, an ecosystem, a marketing ecosystem mm-hmm. revolution with the internet, and you know, essentially access to market, digital marketing that was unprecedented at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, explainer videos, which is what kind of this category is called, just took off, yeah. right? Video in general took off, and yeah. video in general is still you know, taking off, yep. right? But that category really exploded. Yeah. And, and we literally, we did a video about Google Wave, explaining what Google Wave was. Do you remember Google Wave? I don't. Of course you no. don't, because it was here for like a year and it was gone. <laughs> okay. But at one point, they thought it was going to like kill email. Like Google Wave was like ah. the email killer. It's essentially Slack. Got it. Okay. Yep. They, re- they positioned it wrongly. They positioned it to try to replace email, whereas yeah. Slack never tried to replace yep. email. Slack yep. was just a, an add-on. Um, but Google Wave, we did a video. Uh, the founder, John Collins, did this video about what is Google Wave, and it went completely viral. Yeah. And Piffio just, pow, yeah. just took yeah, off. Yeah, you're on the map now. Yeah. And it was point. a wave. Yeah. We literally caught a wave. Yeah, Google wave, that's right? awesome. Um, so I came on here, uh, loved it. You know, right at that time, I, I had just gotten married. We were just having our... I was uh, just going to ask, yep. like, when does, when does Tara yeah, so enter Tara, the world? At the... Tara and I met at Crossroads. Okay. Um, at... I don't know how to describe this. It wasn't like an event. It, like we were, I was meeting people there. She was meeting people there for, we were going to go somewhere else and we just kind of ran into each other. And, yeah. Um, she started flirting with me and uh, yeah. literally she told me I smelled good. Um, <laughs> that's, and, that's a pretty solid that's pickup right. line. And then I started witnessing to her at the bar. Uh, I started telling her all about Jesus and the Bible and stuff. And Because um, I didn't know if she was a believer or not. And, you know, I was I was still in that, you know, Zealous, you know, just came, you know, as a year out from my uh-huh. faith, and you know, everybody I met was going to hear some way or another about the gospel, and uh-huh. and uh, so we're at like this bar listening to this band, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> over there 
talking to her about the Bible, you know, Bible stories I was reading and, and all this stuff. And, <laughs> and, and it you smelled good enough. Yeah, that it she worked. Stuck I mean, because she, I think, in her mind, she was like, "Well, there's guys out there that like mm. really care about this enough to like that's what they're going to talk about." Yeah. You know? um, yeah. And we just developed a friendship, really. And I was, I knew in my heart that I was like done with the game. Yeah. I didn't want to play the game anymore. Yeah. You know. Um, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I, I knew I didn't want that, you know? And I think that she was coming to a place where she did not want to put her hope in a man anymore, mm. you know? Because I think, in the same way, I always thought that if I just found the right girl, I'd be okay. Yeah. I think she always thought if she just found the right guy, she'd be okay, Yeah. right? Yeah. So she was coming to this, like, healthy place of, I'm not going to just, like, put all my chips in with a guy anymore. And I was coming to this healthy place of, like, I don't want to play the game anymore. Yeah. And we developed a good friendship and it just kind of turned into a relationship that it's now we've we've dated for over ten years and been married nine. So it's awesome, man. We've got a bunch of kids. So that's awesome. How many kids? We have five. Five. Um, one will be we'll deliver one of them in September. It's awesome. But but, but we have one. He, he he counts. That's right. He counts. Right. So <laughs> that's uh, awesome, man. Yeah. So we have five kids, uh, seven and under. So talk to me about. I know you have a, a different perspective than most on what it means to build a family. Like why is why that's important yeah. to you as a believer. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that. Well, there's two there's two ways to look at it. There's a couple different ways to look at it. If you if you if you want to use the Bible as your lens to look at life through. Yeah. So that, I'm going to start with the big assumption there. A lot of people yeah. don't want to. Yeah. Right. The Bible doesn't have too many options for us, mm. right? It's either like get married or stay single and be a missionary. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, Paul yeah. says it kind of clearly. Like yeah. it's like you either, and he, he kind of, he talks about it a little bit weird. He talks about it like in terms of your ability to control your sexual right. desire. Right, right. So he doesn't, he doesn't speak too highly of, you know, it's almost, and he, you know, it's interesting. He kind of like wishes more people would be single missionaries. Yeah. Right? I remember reading that at like, yeah. at like 15 years old that's and right. thinking like, well, that, that's kind of hard to wrestle with, you know? Okay. So again, if you want to use the Bible to like, yeah, think about this in a very general sense, you could say that there's two paths. Yeah. There's the family path and there's the single missionary path. Mm. Okay. And I think in that regard, Biblically speaking, either is great. Yeah. You know? Now, what is the family path? Mm. Okay. Now, this is where I think the Western culture has gotten it wrong. And by the way, I, I, most everything I'm about to say about family, I learned from a guy named Jeremy Pryor. Mm. Um, and uh, he, he's been a mentor of mine. And I think mm. God has given him just a ton of what, wisdom about family and whatnot. And so, a lot of this I'll be parroting back, and I probably won't do as good a job as Jeremy can do it. <laughs> Maybe but, we'll get Jeremy on the show. Right. I mean, Jeremy, all that's the right. Places Lucas just was edit out all the things. That, no, that's not true. But um, he, you know, just helped me understand that we tend to see the Bible and look at the world through the lens of the single missionary, relatively speaking, the single missionary paradigm. Why? Because Jesus was a single missionary, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so there's great things about that, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot to be to learn about that and whatnot, but. But you see, Jesus was coming from a, an actual Hebraic and Jewish context where, where the scriptures that we refer to at that time wasn't the New Testament, it was the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Everything that those people that we get the New Testament from were referring to was referring to the stories in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And the number one kind of character in the Old Testament is really Abraham, mm-hmm. right? And what was Abraham? Abraham was a father, mm-hmm. okay? And... And not only just a father of children, and, and, and he didn't have a ton of children, but think about 
if you think about the Abrahamic story, his entire focus was to have a kid. Yeah. Like that's all he wanted was a, yeah. was a son, right? That's how important it was to him, right? And from Abraham, you get, um, you get Isaac, who begets Jacob. And they're called the patriarchs of the faith. And then Jacob has 12 sons, right? And they become literally the tribes of Israel. And the entire biblical story is built on the foundation of family, hmm. okay? And then Western civilization picks it up and it's like, Jesus, <laughs> right? So yeah. you come to faith and you just... You just you ignore your family. You know Jesus says if you have to hate your wife and you have to hate your children uh -huh. in order to follow him. Uh -huh. And so we just hate our wives. We hate our children. Uh -huh. We just we just it's all about ministry and all that kind of stuff. And it's like wait 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 guys, there, we're missing the full picture here, mm. right? Interesting. Yeah, and and so the full picture is that our faith is really built on the backs of the patriarchs, mm. and there is a ton of amazing stories in the Bible about fathers and about mothers and about children and about mm -hmm. families. And, and families, Abraham was on mission with his family. The, his mm -hmm. family, in a way, was the mission, mm -hmm. right? And so, and it was multi-generational. Abraham didn't get to see the promises that were given to him by God, mm -hmm. but he believed them. And he he orchestrated his entire life. He built a household. I mean, he was, it says he had like 300 fighting men in his household. So he was a businessman, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So here's a businessman, father of a family, patriarch of the faith, who's completely in line and integrated with the kingdom of God, mm. okay? Which is a narrative that the West has lost, Yeah. right? Family is kind of an afterthought. Family is um, kind of like, uh, I think Jeremy's talked about it, like we like to believe that the family is like the nest. Uh-huh the nest where all the individuals kind of go uh -huh. out from uh -huh. versus the actual vehicle mm. that we do our mission through, yeah. right? And, you know, to a guy like Abraham, this nest idea would have been like, what? Why yeah. would I possibly want to build something that is going to completely implode in 18 years when my kids leave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, huh. I think what attracted me to it was the idea of, I think, I don't want to speak too generally, but men like to build stuff, Yeah. right? And I think when I started to think about family as something I could build mm. that could last beyond me, mm. right? Um, and that got me excited. Whereas mm -hmm. I think the Western culture thinks about family as like this thing that you do for a while mm. and then you kind of get back to your life, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. We talk about it like Kids that, are out of the right? house yeah. or empty nesters. There you go. You know? And that's the goal, yeah. Yeah. right? We just yeah. can't wait to get to be left alone again. Yeah, get them off the payroll. <laughs> That's so that, right, yeah. right? And it's like, who, who would, I, I, don't, I don't want that. Like, yeah. Why bother? Like, yeah. So, so I kind of understand, and again, I don't mean to criticize it. I'm going to keep going back to, if you want to use the Bible as the narrative, as uh -huh. the lens you look uh -huh. at things through. Uh -huh. This idea of being like, you know, a married couple that kind of, you know, make sure that we only have uh, enough responsibility to kind of, but, but really we're just planning on vacations and, and all this kind of stuff and we're just trying to make a comfortable life. Like that's mm -hmm. not really a biblical narrative, mm -hmm. right? It's either like single missionary sold out to God yeah. or family sold out yeah, to God. Totally. Like those are your options, right? How, so when you started learning about this stuff from Jeremy, you were already married at this point? I had met Jeremy before I was married. Okay. But really started like, yeah, about the same time I was yeah. learning all this stuff. So at what point, like, do you come home to Tara <laughs> and say, like, I have, I'm, I'm developing this different view on what, like, building a family sure. means? Like, how did that conversation go? 
Or how is it going? I guess maybe it, it's always it. gone really well. Mm. It, it, I don't. There have definitely been like tactics within it. Yeah. Like how many children we have. Yeah. Or how often we have children. Or that you know. I mean, the the wife takes the major hit. Yeah. To have children. Yeah. Like, so that you know, that's one of those things where I can say whatever the hell I want to say, but she's the one that really has to get on board with it. So we've definitely had to have lots of discussions about things mm. like that. But there's something I think, I can speak for Tara, I can't speak for every woman. It was incredibly meaningful for her as well. It wasn't mm-hmm. just me building a family. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, I can't do it alone. Right. Right? I mean, this is the beautiful way that God designed it. was like, it literally takes father and mother. You yeah. Know? And I think that as I was getting a higher view of fatherhood, mm. it wasn't giving me a lower view of motherhood. Mm. Right? It was only giving me a higher view of motherhood. Yeah. See, I started to believe that that the identity of a father was probably one of the highest identities I could have. Mm. It was higher than CEO. It was higher than pastor. It was higher. It was higher. Like it was. It's the it's the title God uses to refer to Himself. Yeah. Is Father. Mm, that's powerful. Right? Yeah. And He gives it to us. Right. So it's a super high view, and and mother becomes like equally as high it's it's like really high you know yeah so it was never like i never had this attitude of like well i'm going to build a family and you're going to like serve me and yeah, yeah. you know you're going to stay home and all that kind of stuff it was as i was you know working through because it was hard for me to hear the stuff too yeah, yeah. You know, i mean it wasn't like i was like oh this sounds fun like wait a minute i gotta have kids and i gotta like be super responsible and i gotta like yeah. lay my life down for my family and it's not about totally. me anymore it's about my family and what about me what about me what about you know yeah. i was going through all that too right yeah but as we talked about it i was going through it with her and i think the whole time she was like yeah this makes sense mm. this makes more sense than the individualistic i just need to self-actualize and just mm. have my thing like we both started to realize that the best place for our identities was in our family. Mm. Now, you have to be careful with that, mm. okay? And this is where you have to temper it. Our ultimate identity is as sons and daughters of, yeah. of God, yeah. okay? Our ultimate identity is in Christ. Our ultimate place where we kind of get that is from Him, yeah. right? But we also have titles and jobs and, and, mm. and communities we're part of and all that kind of stuff. And so it's one thing to say, well, you, you shouldn't get your identity from anywhere but God. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we all get our identity, identity from lots of places other yeah. than God. Yeah. Okay, um, It was just, okay, in God and then family. Yeah. Right? And so this is, this is something that Jeremy talks a lot about. There's, uh, the, this is, it helps you with the tension of this. Because yeah. it's very easy for family to become an idol. Mm. And it can become, and matter of fact, when Jesus is, is warning against this stuff, what he's warning, what he's saying, hey, if you want to follow me, you have to leave your family. Mm. What he's saying is not, when you follow Jesus, you leave your family. Mm. He's saying, if your family would prevent you from following me, you leave your family. Yeah. Because the context he was in, the, the Jewish family was so strong, yeah. right? And if all of a sudden you start talking about following a Messiah, yeah. you think that your strong Jewish dad is going to be like, hey, good job, buddy. Mm. They're going to disown you. Mm-hmm. And Jesus was saying, you have to be willing for that to be the case if you're going to follow me. Mm. Okay, We've misinterpreted that. And we just think now it's like you just leave your family. Family's not important. No. Yeah. 
if your family is willing to follow Jesus, you bring them along. You can do that together. That's right. You you do that together. So, so, and you have to remember, it's Jesus' mission is our mission. Mm. That's the mission. Mm -hmm. Okay. My family is not my mission. Mm -hmm. Okay. My family is the thing. It's the group of people I'm doing my mission with. It's it's one of the groups Mm -hmm. I'm doing my mission with. Right. So there's three ways to look at family. So he says there's family and mission. Mm. Okay. So this is I have a mission, and I have a family. Mm. Okay, that's kind of more the traditional Western way to think about it. Mm-hmm. The family is this thing over here, and I'm over here, and I've got my mission, and I'm going to be the pastor, or I'm going to be the missionary, and all that kind of stuff. And as long as my family doesn't like slow me down too much, I'll be okay. Interesting. Right? Yeah. That's not a great way to look at it. It's not bad, but it's not, not a great way to look at it. There's family as mission, mm. where my mission becomes building my family. Mm. That's dangerous. Right, yeah. because now your family becomes the whole focus. Yeah, and you can forget about the mission of God. Right? Yeah, and that's where the identity thing becomes. That's really right. Dangerous. You gotta be careful yeah. with that. And then there's family on mission. Mm. Okay, so family and mission, family as mission, and what we want to be is a family on mission. Right? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So we are a family. We get tons of value and identity and love and, and inclusion and beauty out of that. It's great, but we are on a mission. Yeah. Right, and our the, the one who gave us the mission is this guy named Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's how you kind of properly keep these two things in check, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I think going back to Tara, you know, if, you, if she was sitting here, she might say something like, you know, as crazy as this all might sound, it sure sounded better than like the other stories you probably hear from guys. Mm. Like, I want to golf more. Uh, yeah. I wanna, you know, play video games more, or yeah. I wanna, you know, work more. Yeah. You know, like, so I think in all said and done, you know, this vision and this kind of philosophy was better for her. Yeah. You know, and it's it's definitely led to us being a much better couple. Mm. You know, what is your what is your mission? So this is kind of going back to what you uh-huh. know. I remember the very first mission we wrote down. <laughs> Was like that there would be no more orphans in the world. Like we were gonna like solve the orphan problem. Yeah. Right. That's what I believed that God was calling our mission. That's simple. Our, our, yeah. yeah. It's easy, right? And then like two years later, I was like, we have done absolutely nothing towards this goal. Maybe we're off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so um, so the mission has evolved, and mm. and understanding what God is doing with us, and whatnot. It, it's multifaceted, mm. right? There's like tiers to it. Like so. I believe that in general, we all have the same mission. Mm. If you believe this story, mm-hmm. it is to make disciples of all nations. Yep. It's to teach people to obey Jesus. That's our mission. Yep. Okay. Um, we don't have to get more creative than that. It's like, yeah. that's it. He wrote yeah. it down. He said it like five times. It's like, it's right there. Boop, that's yep. the mission. Okay. Now, how that looks in different contexts and different cultures and different makeups, and some people might have a more evangelistic bent, some people might have a more pastoral bent, some people might. How that looks for us is to engage with our children, mm. make disciples of our children first mm. and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. To um, figure out how to use our home mm. as a hub for disciple making, mm. right? So instead of us constantly having to go and whatnot, to be able to invite people and to bring people in, you know, I think I think our culture is starved for family, mm. you know, to some degree. Yeah, no question. So I, I do believe that God is moving this way and in, in wanting the family to be, become more of a hub of discipleship than, mm. it, than it's been in the past. To use our family as a hub of discipleship. Our family uniquely has been called to Israel mm. 
in and in, in, that's a whole thing in and of itself. Yeah, I, yeah. I still to this day, I'm going, Lord, how the heck? I've been to Israel eight times. I'm involved in an economic development initiative in Israel. Um, I think there's a confluence for, for my family with, with the kingdom, with a, uh, a connection between business and the mm -hmm. kingdom, right? And not only like using your business to like evangelize people, I don't mean mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. but thinking about business as a tool to equip and resource us for discipleship. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. so it's, mm. it's to make disciples, yeah. right? That's the mission. Yeah. And Israel's a big piece of that for us, connecting yeah. to God's kind of global macro story with Israel. Um, using our home as a hub for discipleship is a big piece of that for us. Yeah. Um, and business. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were like thinking about what we would want to talk about right. on this podcast. And you talked about how like that wasn't just something like like when you can say clearly part of it's Israel, part of it's business. Right. That wasn't something that just like clicked for no. you guys and you wrote it down. It was right. kind of iterative. Yeah. Right. Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, I, I said you know if I was sitting down with a young man, I would say the number one thing is to like figure out what your what's your north star, what's your goal. Yeah. You right? are sitting down with a young man. There you go. Uh, okay. like, uh, so <laughs> Kurt, figure out what's your north star. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. You can call it a dream. You can call it you know what is it that you're gonna like devote your life to. Yeah. And I'll save you some headache. You're gonna get it wrong, like the first time you try to figure it out. Yeah. Right. But pay attention to it. Right, so like I said, the first time I thought it, it was like orphans. I don't know why. I thought it was like the right one to pick. The right, yeah. the right mission to pick is to you know help the orphans. Right. Yeah. But you know what? I tell you, we've talked about adoption. Mm. Right. So it's not gone. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just different. It's more realistic, if you will. Right. Yeah. It's more achievable. Business was always one for me. To the best of my ability, I thought I would be a business owner and, and whatnot and. And, you know, so business felt like something. I get introduced to this Israel thing, and Israel kind of keeps grabbing my attention and whatnot. Yeah. So if you were to put a gun in my head and be like, what's your vision? I'd be like, I don't, it's something about Israel, something about business, and something about using my home as a discipleship yeah. hub, right? But, but the more that you can work to clarify it for yourself, the harder it will be for you to let go of it. Mm. Because it's, they're, they're, you ha you'll let go of them, mm. right? I, I, I think I shared the story with you, but I was listening, it was just a couple of years ago, I was listening to this audio prayer for like a buddy of mine sends me, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it was about what dream have you let die that God mm -hmm. has given you. Mm -hmm. I remember walking away from that going, well, I, don't, I don't have any dreams that God has given me that I let die. And, yeah. But then I prayed about it, and I was like, yeah, this idea of owning multiple businesses mm -hmm. and providing economic freedom to people through mm -hmm. business and providing economic options to my children and to other people mm. um, and potentially even using that to bless Israel and, mm. and get involved economically with Israel. Mm -hmm. That is a dream I have. And yeah. it scares the crap out of me to say it because I, if you were to, I don't have no idea how it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a million dollars in the bank to go buy. I just don't, you know? Mm -hmm. So it feels stupid. It feels mm -hmm. like childish to say that that's my dream. Yeah. But it is, you know? Yeah. And I bet you if we were to sit down 10 years from now, it won't look exactly like what I just said there. Totally. Right? It'll yep. probably look a little bit different because yep. that's how this works. You throw the thing out there, you start going after it, and now the Lord can kind of move you. you yeah. know? It was like, yeah. that was what I needed to be able to do this. Yep. Right? Um, and, and having the courage to just be like, yes. Like, we should have the courage to have a vision and be willing to go after it. And be willing to use that as a lens to start making decisions. To when you, when you're young and you don't have a ton of responsibility, yeah, 
making decisions is relatively simple, mm-hmm. right? All of a sudden, you've got five children, and you've got a wife, and you've got employees, and all that kind of stuff. You better have a grid to make decisions through, yeah. right? Because not, not only do you have to understand why you're doing things, you have to let other people understand why you're doing things and, and whatnot. So, so that was kind of the North Star for me. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It reminds me of like what you were talking about earlier, uh, leaving the corporate gig behind like it was like you had this moment of conviction yes that led to a decision that's right that then put you in a position where you there was no other choice like you could not take credit for anything it was all god right that's like right. it feels like in a different way you have this conviction that this is the direction that you should that's head right. you're not totally clear exactly how that's going to work but it's a big enough dream and vision for your life that you go i lucas i kurt cannot do that, but I'm going to trust that God has a way right. for me to be a part of That's whatever right. that vision is. Yep. And it's, um, you should be compelled by it. You yeah. know, so one way that I would ask you, like, if it's, if it's the right one is like, does it compel you? Does it get you yeah. excited? Does it get the blood boiling and stuff? Because I, you know, it is interesting to me, like, I don't think I chose to go into business. Now, let me, I want to be careful with that. I don't remember ever one time sitting down and like of all the things I could be interested in, right. I decide business. Right. right. It just compelled me. I just I've always been interested in it. I feel the same way. Right. I don't know yeah. why. Right. Yeah. I, maybe it's God. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't even know necessarily to call it business That's right. for a long time. Like now I realize like what I love is business. What I love is trying to build a company and there you go. That whole deal. But like for a while it was I was on track to go into ministry. And I loved ministry because it was connecting all of these people to a bigger vision, right? I, for a while, I was on the financial advisor track. And I still didn't call that necessarily building a business, but that's That's what what was exciting to me about it. And it's interesting that you say that. It's like I was compelled towards that concept or that role. There you go. Regardless of what industry or whatever it was in. So take that and then extrapolate it out 50 years from now and pick a direction you can take that in. So this is not like... I don't think it's like you're not starting from scratch here. You know, yeah. like, you know, look back at your life. Look at the patterns. Look at the things that get you excited. Look at the things that you're interested in. And then, to the best of your ability, align it with what you believe God's intentions for those things are. Yeah. And that's a pretty good place to start, you mm-hmm. know. Um, you know, I, I also tell people, like, if, you know, I, I meet with young families and they're like, you know, talking about mission statements and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I'm like, don't innovate where you don't have to innovate. Yeah. You know, that's why you asked me, what's the mission statement? It's make disciples. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah. You know, like, now how your family or how you in particular might use your business to do that, great. You know, it might help you to articulate it that yeah, way. Yeah, get some clarity right? that yeah. way. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, just figure out. I think I said this to you when we were talking. When people tell me they don't know what their vision is or they don't know what that objective is, mm-hmm. I, I will sometimes kind of call bullshit. Like, you do. You just, you're, you're too scared to say it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or maybe you haven't done the hard work to be able to articulate it enough. But once you do, you're going to be too scared to say it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's going to be scary. Mm. Right? And who are you? Who am I to be able to have a vision like that? Yeah. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel like we can do it or we don't feel like it's realistic enough. And oh, that's great. That's great. Because now we know that yeah. it's God. Like, yeah, it's if, if it's going to happen, then God has to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, like, um, that's beautiful, man. I love that, brother. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure. I'm excited to see what you do here at Epiphio in these coming months, years, whatever that looks like. I'm I'm grateful for our friendship. 
grateful sure. for what you've done for us in our business, yeah. but also for what you've done in our in our faith journey, uh, Chad and I, as we've learned from you. So thanks yeah, for being cool. a mentor. My pleasure, man. And uh, and thanks for sharing some of your wisdom on the podcast. You got it, man. All right, All right brother. Yep. Talk soon. Ooh, fellas, that was a fun interview. I'm not going to lie. I left that conversation really inspired and encouraged and a bit just wanting to hang out with Lucas a whole heck of a lot more. I just think his energy and his perspective on family and business is really powerful and almost contagious in so many ways. I hope you guys get a chance, uh, some of you, to connect with him in the future, but would uh, really encourage you to take some of what he said to heart just to spend some time processing what do I feel like God put me on this earth to do? What is my unique skill set? How do I pursue that through my family and through my work and through my ministry? And that those things don't have to be as disconnected as maybe we think about them. I just think some of those concepts are, are really, really powerful. Hey, if you have some feedback for us on what you would love to hear us talk about more on the show, if you have guests that you think would be uh, phenomenal for the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can shoot me an email directly at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at grownmanproject.com. Again, that's Kurt, K-U-R-T, at grownmanproject.com. I can't wait to hear from you there. And otherwise, I will see you here next week. Thanks, fellas. I pray that anybody that would listen to the Grown Man Academy podcast, is that what it's called? <laughs> the Grown Man Podcast. That's it? Yeah. Is it still Grown Man Academy or are you just... No, Grown Man Project. Grown Man Project, okay. Yeah. It was Grown Man Academy when we talked about it. It was, yeah. Um, the Grown Man Podcast, I pray that for the next you know, hour or so that I'd be able to just let everything go and be fully present and that your words would come through and you would encourage and edify um, anybody in any way that, that you see fit through me and through this interview and through this project, Lord. And uh, I trust that anything and everything that I could possibly be spending my time thinking about for the next hour, that you have it under control and that we'll be able to figure it out um, in due time. And uh, so I just, I release all my anxiety to you, Father. I release all of my worries and concerns about things that in the grand scheme of things are going to be fine uh, to you so that I can just, you know, me and Kurt can have fun today and, mm -hmm. and hopefully help men out there do a little bit better on this journey and encourage them and edify them in, in, in every way we can. Lord. In your son's name, I ask and pray these things. Amen. Amen, amen. That was a powerful prayer, brother. Thanks for that, man. <laughs> All right. Did you feel it melt away? Oh, I just, yeah, I felt like, okay. Supernatural. Okay.